Things Messy podcast. Here we are. So into October, I'm not sure where everybody else is, but here in Southern California, it's in the 90s, doesn't feel like fall at all, but all of the fall things are out. And I want to feel that it's, you know, falling leaves and cooler temperatures, but we're just not there yet. Last week we had Haywood White. What an incredible episode, so full of information. Completely enjoyed him being on the show. If you didn't have a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to it now. It is worth a, a great listen, just lots of information. And we hope to have him back on the show. Um, if you have any questions or you want to get in touch with me, please email me at everythingsmessy at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and X, which was Twitter, all at, at Everything's Messy. And I'm also on YouTube. So reach out. Let me know what's going on. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have conversation with you about, you know, anything that you'd like and hear your mess. And, you know, let's get into it. So October is kind of a special month, if you will, for me. I know it is uh, breast cancer month and definitely want to take the time to recognize that. But for me, it is when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I'm coming up on my diversary. So I just wanted to get into the messy story of how I was diagnosed, what transpired, uh, and kind of talk a little bit about the feelings of being a teenager and going through that. And the, you know, just really share with you and be vulnerable of that messy time. Still kind of messy for me, although I think um, I'm getting a better handle on it. So, you know, 28 years later almost, which is really crazy. Uh, and I just wanted to share it with you. And I hope if you have somebody that is a diabetic in your family or you are yourself, I just hope this might help. Um, I know I'm not alone, and this is not uh, to take away anything from anyone. This is just to share my story and what I went through and what I'm still going through. So, yeah, let's get into this messy story. Now, from what I understand and the research that I've done, I always had it. I just, it was basically loaded, just something needed to be the catapult or the trigger, and it manifested and showed that around 15 years old. And the story goes something like this. Um, uh, before I was actually diagnosed, I became very, very skinny. Um, of course, at 15 years old, you know, it's unfortunately every girl's dream to be as skinny as they possibly can. I wasn't going to question it, but I was probably 98 pounds soaking wet. At the time, I was working in a two-story Mexican restaurant. Uh, absolutely loved the restaurant, but I attribute it to as a hostess, just running up and down those stairs, you know, all night long, seating people, helping clear tables, you know, everything like that. Also going to school, I was riding horses, you know, just had a very active life. And so I, I really didn't think anything of it. I had started to notice that I was um, frequently having to use the restroom. And it, it didn't dawn on me because I was, again, drinking a ton of water. So it just, there was not, I was never in pain. There was nothing that I could ever tangibly say, I, you know, feel in pain. I was very, very fatigued, like fatigue I can't even go into about. Um, but it was, again, I was attributing to, I'm working, I'm going to school, I'm riding horses, I'm doing all the things. And I just figured that it was normal to feel the way that I did. I remember one afternoon, and where I went to school, I had to take a bus because there was not a high school out where we lived. 
and it was a long bus ride. And then I had about a two, two and a half mile walk home from school after getting off the bus. And again, not not a big deal. I had, you know, want, you know, could do it, was able to do it. Um, but I remember one day I was feeling so incredibly tired. And it was, you know, the walk, which was just seeming, seemingly just wouldn't end. I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And it just didn't end. And I remember just starting to cry because I just couldn't imagine, you know, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just get home and, you know, get do the things that I need to do? And I remember getting home that day and just collapsing on the couch needing to sleep so, so terribly, but I had chores to do. I had horses to go feed and things like that. And I just, I just remember thinking, this can't be, this can't be it. But again, I, I'd like to think of myself as a child who really didn't complain. I did what the things that I had to do. And, you know, there was a lot to take care of horses and I loved taking care of the horses. So it wasn't something that I was complaining about. I wasn't telling anybody, I think there's something the, the matter with me. I remember after being diagnosed, I remember my dad telling me that my grandpa had made a comment of me being really skinny. But again, I wasn't in pain. Nobody was seeing me. You know, there was nothing physical that they could be like, oh my gosh, you need to, you know, something needs to be checked out about you. There was nothing to see. It was just all internal. And I didn't know there was something wrong. So I think because of that, with, you know, God knowing all and divine intervention, he had to get somebody's attention, right? So one afternoon in October, um, I was letting one of our horses out into our big arena and the Santa Ana's had kicked up. And the, we had a lot of uh, bobcats in our area, and they had they would frequently come down around. And the horse smelled something different. It was sort of an erratic horse to begin with, um, kind of hyper and wild. But something spooked it, whether it be the wind, whatever it was. I'm pretty sure it was something to do with you know smelling a bobcat close or something like that. The horse whipped around, and square planted his back feet and kicked me right on my right side in the back launched me into the air and I, I'm out here by myself you know my parents were working and this was not a uh, weird occurrence I was always out with my horses whether people were home or not this was not a weird occurrence but so anyway he whips around kicks me I get launched into the air land it knocks the wind out of me I can't cry for help because I can't catch my breath I'm completely shocked. My horse has now run down the driveway, way down, um, you know, all the way down our dirt road. Luckily, a neighbor had seen the horse, you know, running frantically down the road. They were able to secure the horse and bring it back. Uh, my sister at the time was up at the house, but again, the property that we lived in was very spaced out. Again, I couldn't scream or cry for help. It was just, you know, very, <laughs> it was just one of those things that happen. Again, Fortunately, divine intervention, the pieces kind of all fell into place. The neighbor was able to call an ambulance who was then able to get in touch with my parents, who then, you know, I was able to get transported to the hospital. And at the time, as I'm laying back in the ambulance, I'm in pain because I have now, I have two cracked ribs and the horse somehow bruised my kidney as well. Of course, not knowing that until we had the doctor check me out, but I'm just feeling all this pain. So we get into the emergency room, and of course they do all the vitals, and part of taking the vitals is checking your blood sugar. And I remember the nurse telling me, there must be something wrong with the meter because my blood sugar wasn't registering on their meter. So she went to find another meter and come back, 
she checked it again and it wasn't registering. And then it was told that my blood sugar was so incredibly high, it wouldn't register on the glucometer machine, which I think it goes up in the hospital, or at least at the time it went up to 400. So whatever it was, it was over 400. So, you know, all of this chaos is happening around me. They're talking at me, telling me all these things. I I don't understand what's going on. I've not really ever heard the word diabetes. Nobody in my family had uh, has type 1 or even type 2 for that matter. So it was not something that I was educated in. And here they are asking me all these questions and what do I eat and what, you know, all these things. And my head is spinning because I have, you know, my it hurts to talk. It hurts to breathe. It hurts to laugh. I can't <laughs> get just all spinning around me. And I remember them saying, well, we need to admit you because this is what you think, this is what, you know, you have. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I I don't. You're wrong. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. And I mean, think back, you know, parents, adults, think back to being 15 years old and something like this, you know, anything. I'm sure everybody's gone through something. Just imagine in the moment, it's panic, it's disbelief, it's um, frustration and it's you know you're scared to death I was scared to death and I just remember thinking I got to get out of here I have to get out of here somehow I was able to convince my mom to AMA me out of the hospital I wasn't going to stay uh, fortunately at the time we had a uh, family doctor who I could go to that you know I felt a little more comfortable with um but I was not, this, it just was a, a bad dream, a nightmare. I needed to wake up. And I remember a little bit, a few months later, I remember my mom saying, I need to go out and kiss that horse. Thank God for that horse, because if it hadn't been for the horse, I probably would have been found unconscious on a kitchen floor somewhere. And it probably would have been past the point of no return. And I keep, I kept at the time, I was so angry thinking, why are we thinking that the reason that this all happened was because of the horse. Growing up and looking back on it, God had placed that horse where it needed to be in order for me to be able to get the treatment and the help that I needed. But trust me, at the time, I did not, I did not feel that way about that horse. I wanted that horse to be put down or something. I just remember being very angry at the horse and it wasn't the horse's fault. Again, my mom was right. It literally did save my life. It's just an odd way to look at it. And it's an odd way for something like that to transpire. But how else was it going to be known? Like I said, I wasn't complaining, wasn't talking about it. I didn't think there was anything wrong. And it just, you know, it hadn't, become so big that definitely, you know, thankfully God took it into his hands to make sure that, you know, it wasn't going to go on any further. So anyway, getting out of the hospital and I remember driving home that night with them and I remember just, I couldn't, you know, I still couldn't catch my breath, but all of the thoughts going through my head and it was really just just very scary because I had no idea what was to come. So I think it was the next morning or maybe that was a Friday and we didn't go till Monday. But at some point over the next couple of days, um, the family doctor worked at Cedar sinai in Santa Monica. So we made the big drive down there. And he was actually very good friends with a renowned endocrinologist at the time. And she, you know, basically said, yes, you do. You know, here's they had done the blood work 
and you are a juvenile. At the time, they called it juvenile diabetes. I think some people still do refer to it as that, although it is coming out now that it really can manifest in some people even into their 20s. So juvenile diabetes is not really an accurate term anymore. It's definitely type 1. And it, it is basically your pancreas no longer works. You have a dead organ inside of you. It is an auto autoimmune disease, and you now have to basically operate as your pancreas to take care of yourself. And th that was pretty much all that was said to me. And it's not, at the time, you know, there was not a lot of information. Yes, there had been people that had been diagnosed all over the world with this, but there was a really hard they couldn't get it out. And I think that's one of the things we can say definitely this day and age of the internet for the good things of it is to get information out. At the time, there was no information. There was no, you know, if you wanted to go to support group, you would have to go to a major hospital. And, and even then, maybe there was one or two people in the support group. Nobody knew about them. Nobody was there. At least my experience, it was a very lonely road other than my family being very supportive. But my family wasn't told anything. They weren't giving any information. They didn't know what it looked like for me. They didn't know what it looked like for me go growing older. Um, so it was really scary to have this, you know, unknown thing happening. And really, we only had what um, the American Diabetes Association had put out, which you know, as an adult now, and the things that I know, I don't agree with their exchange diet and the things that they say you can eat when you can't. I do think a lot of their information is geared toward types, type 2 diabetes, and that leaves a lot of stuff out of type 1. It is definitely a very different dynamic with that you're dealing with. And yes, there are some similarities, but for the most part, they're two very, very different things. So having to accept this thing that people couldn't even tell me really what it was was very hard for me. I will admit, and full disclosure, I was a very rebellious teenager. So anybody coming at me telling me I had to do this automatically meant I wasn't going to do it. And that sort of set me up for what I've talked about before about having the heart attack and things like that, because for so long, I did not take it seriously. I did not really understand or commit why I needed to take it seriously. So there is a lot of emotion going on, you know. And so after the initial shock and having this to become in my daily, um, you know, things that I do, I remember at the time, uh, there was no insulin pump at all. I was given two different types of insulin. I was giving a long-acting insulin, which was Lantus, and I was giving a short-acting insulin, which was Humalog. The idea being that you give Lantus and it goes, it's a slow releasing insulin over the 24 hour period, and then the short term insulin to be before the meals. Very much like the pump is to, works now, except it had to be injections. So I think starting out, I couldn't give myself the injections. Luckily, my mom was a nurse. She was able to do it. She would, you know, show me how in my arm. By the time I was able to take it over, I was doing injections into my thighs. It was some for some reason, I couldn't get over having to do the injections in my stomach. So probably for two or three years, I was really doing my injections in my thighs. And I probably wasn't getting the full effect of it because it had a longer way to travel. Um, but again, that was just 
me trying to figure out things and no one was there saying, ah, it really needs to be in the stomach. And again, even if they were saying that, I probably wasn't listening because there was no way I was jabbing a needle into my stomach. Again, I was 15. (laughs) It was not something that um, I even wanted to deal with. So getting through that, and then we had a dietitian come who was supposed to tell us how to eat, what to eat. Now, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. Again, the education part is so important. And they did not have a lot of uh, diabetes educators, I believe, at the time. But if they had, again, what you present to me, I really take in full effect of, at especially at the time, how much BS you are just by what you're presenting me and how much I can actually trust what you're telling me. So as the dietitian came to our house, I want to say as nice as I can, she was extremely overweight, like extremely overweight. And not judging her for that, what I was judging was here with this, the woman was telling me what I should and shouldn't be eating as she is not the specimen of health that you would want somebody to be telling you what you need to be doing. And she's explaining to us, again, this exchange thing, a starch for this, exchange it for this. It was very complicated. It was very confusing. And again, even as my mom as a nurse, these were not the nutritional things. They were not known. Nobody knew. And if they did, it was very hard to get a hold of. I have spent a long time in my adult life having to deprogram myself of everything that I was taught because it's all wrong. It's not even close to what you should be eating. And I'm sure they have their reasons of how their, you know, their advice comes about. But just for me, and again, I have said this before, I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving medical advice, I'm just telling you what worked for me and what didn't work for me, and I can tell you the standard diabetes diet did not work for me. It was absolutely garbage, and uh, the numbers that I was trending at were so high, and of course it's like, well, if it's higher, then you need to take more insulin. But it was the food, the garbage that I was told it's okay to eat when it absolutely wasn't okay. And of course, fast forwarding now, I know that, you know, keto, paleo, animal-based, carnivore, those are the only um, standard, not standard, sufficient things, the fuel to give to your body in the right way that will keep your numbers low, but give you the fuel you need. But again, it took me a very, very long time to reach that. And again, there was no education. There was no education about it. So here I am sitting here, this woman telling me, oh, yeah, you can have two egos uh, in the morning with your sugar-free syrup, and that'll be, you know, three exchanges or something like that. Didn't make sense to me. I might have not known anything about diet at the time, but I knew this woman who was sitting in front of me telling me that I could eat egos was, it was BS. It was absolute garbage. I knew it, innately I knew it, but I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know how to fix it. So anyway, going through all of that initial shock, going through the changes of now what I have to do, you know, we had to go to the school nurse. I had to give her my glucometer. And again, you couldn't, you weren't even allowed to test your blood sugar in the classroom. You had to go to the nurse. I think at the time it was so they could record what your readings were and it wasn't automatically going to your pump and things like that. But it took, it was distracting. It took away from school. I didn't like checking my blood sugar. It hurt. I'm already up to six ejections a day and now you want me to stick a needle in my finger? Like this is insane. Plus I'm a teenager. Plus now I hate everyone and everything because of this. 
and why is it happening and what you know again I try very hard I am no victim but let me tell you at 15 when it's coming down on you it's really easy to get in that mindset and I pulled myself out for sure but I think about the kids today and I want to be there to help them to not have to go through what I went through. And the parents, I want to reach out to the parents and have a conversation with them of what it might look like, what a bad day might look like. I think one of the things, and this is sort of a side note, but I think one of the things that does not get talked about enough is the actual mental stuff that comes with having an autoimmune disease and the depression and being different. And I think that's with anything, right? Any child who has to go through something that makes them different, that's really hard. But as a teenager, especially, I, I don't think it gets talked about enough. And it was it was really hard. It was really hard to go through that. So again, back to having to go to the nurse. Um, I The perk, I guess, was I was allowed to have food in the classroom just in case my sugar, you know, got low and I needed to pick me up or something like that. But nobody was monitoring that. So I was drinking apple juice. I was eating candy. I was, you know, was free for all. Um, no, you know, nobody would tell me no. And but nobody was monitoring that either. So it, it's kind of just this double edged sword that I was having to deal with that I was having to take in. Uh, I started to feel a little better. I started to gain a little bit of weight. Um, I just remember thinking, what is it going to do to my body? And it was specifically like the injection sites. And I did notice that I started to kind of get bruising on my uh, thighs because I was basically injecting into the same spot. Again, because I didn't know you had to kind of move it around and up and down and, you know, other things. And so when I started to see the bruises, I will say that's probably what catapulted me into start going in my stomach. So that was, a, you know, an upgrade to the medicine working better, getting over my fear, seeing these bruises. And again, a lot of it is on me because I didn't go to anybody. I didn't say, hey, is this normal? Should this be happening? I just handled it the best way that I knew I could. And again, it's hard to imagine, you know, what What do you do? How do you fix it? What, you know, you just got to figure it out. And so that's what I did. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate as a kid. I was able to be exposed and do a lot of wonderful things. I remember one year I ran for um, Miss Rodeo in our little town. And I know that probably tells a whole lot more about me than people want to know. But yes, I was uh, in the Miss Rodeo pageant. And I remember having to stop one time where we're doing our routine and I just absolutely loved being on the horse. It didn't matter what I was doing, honestly, but doing the routine and I actually had to stop and I was feeling, you know, shaky and low. I had to get off my horse. I messed everybody up. I, you know, it was, it was very distracting. And of course, then you're feeling embarrassed and humiliated and, and all of the girls were so understanding. They, you know, they weren't mad at me, but inside I just felt, you know, why? Why did I, why do I have to be like this? And so for the longest time, sorry, this is a little bit emotional, but for the longest time, I just, I hated, I hated my diabetes because it had changed everything. Luckily, growing older and again, having the wonderful support system that I had, I didn't hate it for years and years, but for a good amount of time, I did. I was resentful for it. And it was, um, 
it was pretty impactful. And again, I wasn't taught how serious I should take it and why I shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed that I have to get off my horse and take care of it. But again, I didn't know. These were things that call me a, uh, a, a slow learner, definitely stubborn, you betcha. Um, but I didn't know. And so it, it hurt on the inside for a long time. But I remember thinking to myself, diabetes doesn't define who I am. And as soon as I got to that mindset, as soon as I could arrive at this wasn't going to hold me back, it didn't. It, I didn't let it stop me. However, I didn't do right by it either. But I certainly didn't let it stop me. I was able to go on, graduate high school. I moved with my family to Texas. I was able to, you know, work full time, do the things that I needed to do. And it just became this thing, okay, that it was there. But again, I wasn't putting the effort into it that I probably should have or needed. I remember meeting this um, emergency doctor when I was doing my uh, EMT write-outs. And he was a wonderful doctor. And I remember him actually taking the time when he found out that I was a type 1 diabetic working on an ambulance. Uh, he actually took the time to sort of explain some things to me. And that was the first time that I had a medical professional take some interest and actually kind of explain you know, long-term, what it might look like, long-term, what are you doing, long-term, and what it did, what I'll say, what he did for me is it, it kind of spurred me in the direction to take not only responsibility of myself, but it spurred me into the direction to become as educated and as informed as I possibly could. Because if I was going to rely on anyone to know the information, it had to be me. I knew I had to become my own medical advocate. Because otherwise, you sort of get lost in the system. You want to trust the doctors of what they're telling you. Now, fast forward almost 28 years later, there's very, very few medical professionals I trust. And a lot of times when they tell me something, I'm frantically looking for another, you know, option or different advice. Or are they really telling me the truth? Because I do think the medicine has become so standardized and become very one-sided and it's it all comes down to well if you have this that's a symptom we have a pill for that symptom and that was just I knew innately in my gut that I did not want that I knew there had to be something else it is taking me you know we're going on like I said 28 years to really become confident and really become I don't want to say an expert because no, I didn't go to medical school, but I will tell you I'm certainly an expert in myself. I can certainly tell you what effects food is going to have on me. I can tell you what effects a medicine is going to have on me. I can tell you what effects the heat is going to ha have on me. I feel like um, it's been a long journey. It's been a long, hard thing to really come to acceptance with. It probably wasn't until my, I was able to get pregnant with my, my daughter, that I really, really, really took it seriously. Because you have to understand, you know, backing up a little bit, I was told basically what they had told 
the character in Steel Magnolias, which is based on a true story, I was pretty much told the same thing. Shouldn't have children. So in my head, I had kind of convinced myself, I'm just not going to have children. Um, that's easy to do when you're 15. That's easy to do when you're 22. But as you get older, that at least in for me, that yearning, that want of children you know, that was that was hard to wrestle with thinking that I could never have a child. Turned out not to be true. Turned out I was just considered a high risk pregnancy and I found the correct high risk OB to deal with that. But at the again at the time, these are years and years of being told these things, no education, nothing to fall back on. You trust what people are telling you and you sort of design your life around that. And, you know, I, I feel sort of gypped in some ways that the education wasn't there. I feel like now, you know, you even have celebrities. I think one of the Jonas brothers is a type one diabetic, and he's got a huge platform that he's able to talk and speak about, you know, the things that you can do and, and help with the charities and things like that. To me, and I would, if I was in that position, I would love to help with those charities. But to me, it's more a platform of education. And the education shouldn't it shouldn't be hard to find. It should be out there and readily available. There should be stuff for parents. There should be stuff for children. There should be stuff for the children when they become parents. It it should be a whole thing. And I, I am working on it. I'm trying to design something like that. I'm trying to get voices heard and other stories told. I want to, you know, I'd really like to put together things to help these families to do that. Because again, I feel like while this disease may be specific, the mindset of what a parent may go through when finding out devastating news about their children is that it's the same path. It's the same feelings. It's the same things you're going through. And there needs to be top talks about that. There needs to be things to where you could go to and resources to have. And so I'm working on all of that. And I hope that I can get that out into the universe and it will help people. But it's a process. And I also want to make sure that it's the correct information and it's it's uh, vetted. And, you know, there are experts that are looking at. But I will tell you just from the human side, from the human perspective, there has to be more. There has to be more. So I just wanted to share my diversity, 28 years strong. I And I will say uh, the last 15 years is probably when I've been taking it the most, most serious that I possibly can. And, you know, before that, that left a lot of years for damage. And that's what I'm dealing with now. And I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. And I think we can do better and we should do better. And I'm going, that's my promise. I want to make sure that that can get out there to help other families, to help other children, to help other parents. You know, it, it, and it's a whole family endeavor. I will say my family now, my immediate family, fortunately, my husband has a EMT background and he's well-versed in the things that need to be done. And we're now teaching our, my children what might need to happen. And, you know, they've always seen me with a tube hanging out because that's my pump and they see me with the CGM. They're kind of used to all these things, but now they're really getting taught what happens if mom needs this. And I think that it's a whole family dynamic that has to come together and, and know, you know, what to do because, you know, as I've shared before, being a 911 dispatcher, it's very frustrating to take that call of a family member calling for on a diabetic's behalf. They can't tell you anything. They can't tell you when they ate last. 
They can't tell you what their blood sugar is. They don't even know how to work the glucometer to check their blood sugar. They don't know how long they've been, you know, feeling this way. Like, it's very, very important um, to be, you know, conscientious and aware if you do have a family member that might suffer from this. And I say suffer, and I don't want to use that word anymore because I'm not suffering. But definitely be proactive and definitely, you know, be able to help that family member. So I think there we just need to get that stuff out there. And that is my promise. And that is my will and my goal. And I want to thank you for listening. And I hope I shared something that might help you or help somebody you know, or just be there that know that you're not the only one who went through this or is going through this. Uh, and again, this applies to any sort of huge thing that happens in your life. It's not just type 1 diabetes. It can be anything that is just what I speak on because it's what I know. And I just hope that you will reach out if you're feeling that way. Let's have a conversation about it. I would love to help anybody out there who might be, you know, again, not suffer, but maybe struggling from it. And we can be there to do better. And I want to be able to do better. So again, next week, I will go into pregnancy with diabetes and a little more of the adult stuff now with being a type 1 diabetic. So I thank you for listening. I thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon.